Welcome to Your Family Dog, a podcast dedicated to helping families love living with dogs. Hi, welcome back to Your Family Dog. I'm Julie Fudge-Smith, and I'm here with the marvelous Tina Spring, who, by the way, has lost a significant amount of weight and is looking fabulous. So um, too bad this is not video. You could see the fabulously lo- fabulous looking as well as fabulously smart Tina Spring. She's got it all. So with that in mind, uh, we're going to plumb the depths of her intellect today to find out about how to add another dog to your household. We uh, asked if, and hopefully you were one of those people that we asked that you got our email saying, hey, let us know what you'd like to hear about. And we had some great replies. And one of them was a woman wanted to know, is there an easy way or how do you add another dog or a puppy to your household? And both Tina and I went, well, it's not as easy as it may seem. And there's no magic formula. And there's an awful lot of the standard trainer, it depends. And adding a puppy is not the same as adding an adult dog. So we decided that this was an important enough topic that we were going to split it into at least two, if not 22 episodes about adding other dogs to your family. So with this episode, we're going to start with talking about adding another dog, an adult dog, that is somebody who's not a puppy. And, uh, Probably, you know, adolescents, are we going to let adolescents in on this one or the adolescents have to go in the puppy? Okay, adolescents are going into the puppy episode. So if your dog is two years or less, you need to listen to the puppy episode. But right, And I would actually say three years or less. Okay, I was trying to be generous. Well, uh, yes. and, if, and if you have an Irish setter, 27 years or less. Or a flat coat because they never grow up. God bless the centers of the world. That's right. And the flatties. The neuroplasticity continues. That's Zuzu's problem. She's too neurally plastic. All right, (laughs) Zuzu, we've diagnosed your problems, honey buns. You're too neural. Neuroplasticity. Yes, you have an abundance of neuroplasticity, you silly goober butt. Okay. Her brain is held together with rubber bands. Yes, silly putty. (laughs) <laughs> or, or silly string. <laughs> yeah, she's got silly string type neurons. Anyway, um, so Zuzu, we have to, but I didn't add you to a house with other dogs. You were sort of our start over dog. It was interesting well, when, it, when we got and Zuzu. It is interesting because when somebody when when Francis um, asked the question, I didn't get the impression that there were necessarily other dogs. That like adds a whole new layer of complication, right? Like right adding an adult dog versus adding a puppy. And then are there existing dogs? How old are the kids? Like, Oh my goodness, for goodness sakes, this will be like the Inagata DeVita. Um, <laughs> yes. The dog uh, training questions. Like the, the welcome to the hotel California <laughs> podcast. So, so, um, so what I would say is when on the blessed days where someone calls me, before they got the dog or the puppy or the nine puppies or the three dogs or whatever, when someone is like fantastic and is like, Hey, we're making an enormous life decision. We'd like some input from somebody who knows a little (laughs) something about that. Not just calling me with a big old tangled mess where there's lots of crying and drinking wine in the closet. 
Um, right. I had a client. With- yeah, I had a client just recently who said, you know, we just had this vision of just that adding the puppy and you know, we'd be romping in the backyard and it would be, you know, just really easy because, and I'm, and he goes, you know, and they have four kids and he said, this is a lot harder. And I said, yeah. Think? Yeah. So, so, so part of it is, I don't know, I'm starting to hate the line. We did our research because that means you bought into whoever was trying to sell you an idea. Right. And ideally in this kind of situation, what you need is someone who sets aside whatever advantage there might be, and often that's financial, to help you navigate really important waters, right? So, so I use this example a lot with people. Like, we begin with where are we, right? If I'm trying to drive to Julie's house, and I call Julie and I say I'm lost, and she starts randomly telling me to turn left or turn right, I'm going to end up in Nebraska, or California or British Columbia, I'm not going to end up in Ohio. Or if I do, like, I don't know, it'll be like the Dirk Gentley's holistic navigation system. So how we, and only like one person is ever going to understand that particular. So, but if, if I'm trying to intuit my way to, to Julie's house, like that's a much more difficult thing then if I've taken inventory of where I am today and my family or your family or somebody else's family, and then also take an inventory of, okay, if the average life expectancy of a dog is, let's say, 14 years, in 15 years, what will our family look like then? What's that going to look like? Then once we have the beginning and the end in mind, we can start thinking, the dog-shaped hole that's in our hearts, like what fits in that in that hole, right? Does, does it mean a pug? Does it mean a husky? Does it mean an adult dog or a puppy? Does it mean more than one dog, right? And if it means more than one dog, well, then what, what's that going to look like? And what do we already have that are kind of immovable parts? Right. So if you have an adult dog, that absolutely hates other dogs. I've had three of these calls in two weeks. Mm -hmm. Dog hates all other dogs and they bring a puppy home and then they don't understand why that's not going great and they want to get rid of the adult dog. Oh no. And and this, this is one of those rare times that I'm like, okay, that's just patently unfair. That's like Christopher chooses me, I'm 5'3", and he comes to me eight years later and says, you're not the one you're not tall enough. Well, I was 5'3 when you met me. I'm not, I mean, the forces of gravity are not going to suddenly make me taller, no matter how good. Shout out to Dr. Ken Cook for awesome chiropractic care. He's not going to make me taller. Well, he could Nor- maybe by half an inch, but nothing noticeably taller. <laughs> right. He's not going to make me suddenly 5'10. That's right. So if so I think if, that what that means is that Christopher has to get the rack and put it in the basement and put you on the great. <laughs> like my work doesn't torture me enough. Yeah, that's right. So, so, so what I would say is like, there are just immovable pieces, right? And we can't plan for everything. We really can't like how many of us thought, Hey, we're just going to spend 2020 at home. home. No one, <laughs> like, we didn't, there's some stuff. We're <laughs> 
going to be able to plan for. But the reality is most of us, if what we had was a pretty good fit from the beginning, no matter what part of life we're talking about, if what you had, the bones of it was a pretty good fit, you've probably navigated through most of this pretty well and adapted. And I think the same thing happens for for our families with like our dogs. If there's been a terrible problem, there's a pug in a box. Something has gone horribly wrong. <laughs> so, so if, you know, suddenly um, an extra human has to move into our home, we would figure that out. I would not, however, necessarily at this juncture, bring a puppy into my home. That sounds terrible. So, um, but you know what? I'm kind of right there with you because having just lived through a puppy who is now um, in a uh, very, shall we say, interesting adolescent, um, not sure I want to do puppy dumb again. But what I will say is I'm so glad we have a second dog. There was a hole in our family for a second dog. And uh, it just feels even with as mischievous and devious and difficult as Miss Clementine is, she fills a void in our lives. Right. And and I've had, and we'll talk about this more when we do the puppy episode, right. but I've had a bunch of people who have gotten two or God forbid three, three. puppies oh, together. Yes. And and I'm sorry, uh, and I'm this is going to be controversial. Somebody's going to be mad about, about it. What I will say is in my 30 years of experience. I have never, ever seen that done well. It It is excruciating for the humans. It's spectacularly difficult. Um, and in my experience, it does not bless the dogs either. I, so, I would agree with you 110%. So they, they can hate both of us, Colin. One. Yeah. Right. When there's one, it's difficult. When there's three, I don't know how you get there from here. I don't know how you get there. And, and it, it makes everything so much less enjoyable and more complicated than it ever needed to be. Like it's okay. very difficult. If, if the wheels on your car, all four are completely 360 casters, you're never going to get it going in the right direction. Right. And that's, I Multiple puppies, I think, often falls into that category. So when people call me, and the reason I'm adding it to this episode, and we will talk about it again in the puppy episode, I'm sure, is if you have two dog-shaped holes in your heart, and one of them is going to be filled by a puppy, the other one needs to be filled by an adult, stable dog. And we can totally find those all day long. It's like the world's best-kept secret. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree. And I think that's one reason why Clementine actually did work is, well, okay, I suppose one can argue whether how, on the stability of Zuzu. But um, what I would say is that she she's a wonderful mother, even though she shouldn't have, she's, it's good that she didn't actually have any of her own. Um, she, she loves, to, she loves puppies. She's a very good mother. Um, she she is a stable adult dog, and in fact, um, Dr. Leanne Lilly, who has been on uh, a couple of episodes with us, um, I had her over for brunch one day, and she was so enchanted by the way that Clementine and Zuzu were playing that she videotaped it to show to her students. So um, I guess I did okay. I had a stable enough 
adult dog to bring a puppy in to show her the ropes and it wasn't total chaos um so i i agree that i think i have because no matter how many times and i'm I'm sure you have said this too until you're um blue purple mauve in the face um if you get two puppies you have to practice separate but equal and nobody ever does and you can't and and i understand that but nobody actually does it for more than 20 minutes the entire puppyhood. And it's just because it's almost impossible to do. And it, but anyway, that's puppies. But it, I, and it, and it becomes Lord of the Flies. There's no a, adult to go, hey, things are getting out of hand. And right. humans, I don't care how, I don't care how many degrees you have. I don't know. I don't care how many certifications you have in the end. An adult stable dog is a much better puppy raiser than you and I. One of the reasons that I am decent at what I do is I watch adult stable dogs when they're interacting with puppies. My puppy class, there is almost always an adult stable dog there who is interacting with the puppies and is my cheat sheet for where does this puppy need support? Where, where do we need to adjust things for this puppy to be successful? Because adult dogs are better at raising, again, a stable adult dog, not, not, you know, the adult dog who is arthritic and painful and grouchy and confused and highly anxious. Like that dog is not a good choice. Right. Because I think we have to make it clear that we're not talking about totally geriatric adult dogs. What we're talking about is an adult dog in its prime, say five years of age, five to to eight, five to 10, somewhere in there. Um, Because you get much older than that, then you have that dog is developing in its own ways. It's, it's need for support is going to be increasing dramatically as it ages. It's maybe going blind. It may be going deaf. It may be arthritic. It may be having some um, back problems. It might have ear fat problems. It might have developed Lyme disease, which is, you know, reoccurring. There's all kinds of things that could go on with this dog. And so I just noticed, like with Rebel, uh, as he got older, he turned to us for more support. He needed us to intervene for him more. He needed us to support him at times where things were a little bit scary or he didn't understand the noise or he didn't really want that other dog near him because that might hurt if I play with them. And so to bring a puppy in on a dog who is beginning to go from being that sort of adult dog in its prime to a truly geriatric dog is not fair because that dog is going to need a level of support just like the puppy needs a level of support, but they're very different levels of support. Right. And, and I would say this is one of those situations where size and breeds breed matters, yes. right? Shorty, Shorty lived to almost 18, Jack Russell Terrier. He was 12 and still acted blood work like a two-year-old dog. Wasn't sore, wasn't hard of hearing, didn't have any vision problems. And I will forever remember the moment in the kitchen that he realized that Marco was not being treated like a border. Like there was this moment that he looked at Marco on a tether in the kitchen with me and me working with Marco and Shorty looked at me and went, are you kidding me? You got a puppy when I'm 12. Like this is the last one lady. This is the last one I'm raising for you. (laughs) And he did a really great job. He had always been a very good puppy raiser. He was raised by my Doberman 
who was a very good puppy raiser, right? Like I endeavor to always have a good puppy raiser in the house. Right now, our good puppy raiser is Jack and the pug assists because the pug can actually be in public. So (laughs) the the job of, of raising dogs is aided in my experience, at least for my household and my practice, by stable adult dogs. Marco it should not be in charge of a goldfish. Like he he's not he can't help with puppy raising. He has noodles for brains. He's a very nice dog. He's a very good dog. He works beautifully. He's too anxious and amped up to help with young dogs. So he's not put in that position. So, all right, we've started this whole conversation about, okay, should we add another dog, blah, blah, blah. We've already shelved puppies are going to be for another day. But now let's talk about the kids and the humans. How's your health? How's your mom's health? How's your mother-in-law's health? Father-in-law, grandmother, how are your kids? How busy is your household? How much in and out do we have going on all day long? Right. Also, when our kids, if if we don't adjust for anything, how are our kids used to interacting with dogs? Is it appropriate? Right. right. I have I had a case I was talking to today on the phone. They had a geriatric dog who passed away. They miss her greatly. She was wonderful. But that dog didn't want to cuddle because she hurt. Right. So when they got this puppy. The kids want the puppy to cuddle. Well, puppies don't really cuddle till they're three, adult dog, right? So to to this new puppy, the kids are being really invasive and she's really uncomfortable with the handling she's receiving. So we talked about Melissa and Doug Toy Company and that they have lifelike dogs that you can get as toys that are excellent surrogates. The kids can lay on those when they're watching a movie and not be forcing the puppy to cuddle. Um, and that's an adolescent puppy. She's six months already. And they're do- they're great kids. Absolutely fantastic kids. Awesome mom and dad. Awesome puppy. Still, we've got some chaos going on because the kids are, in this case, desperately want to be able to cuddle with a dog and the dog they have in their household today, not a cuddler and probably isn't going to be for a long time. So especially since cuddling at this point has become an adversive for him. If they had allowed him to have a say over who he spends time with and for how long and in what fashion, that he would probably develop into a cuddler much faster. But because he was forced into a situation that he was only tolerating at best, this is not something well, that has won me over. Let's put it that way. So I think I think I gave them some good pointers on how to work on all of that. And I think sometimes just setting the expectation and saying, yeah, they don't really do that till they're three. Right. I'll use Marco in his, as an example. Christopher likes a cuddly dog. And when Marco was a puppy, he used to complain all the time. Like, oh, he doesn't cuddle. He's not going to cuddle. He's not cuddly. He doesn't like being cuddled, blah, blah, blah. And I kept saying, wait till he's three. Wait till he's three. Wait till he's three. And it was like a light switch. Marco turned three. Now he lays on you all the time. Like he's like Velcro dog. Like he is attached. If you sit down, he's on your lap. 50 pound dog. So not always the handiest of moves. 
Yes. So if only I knew a dog trainer who could teach that dog some manners. But anyway, (laughs) I feel the same way. His wish, (laughs) right? He has a puppy that if he kicks out on the recliner, Marco drapes himself across him like an Afghan. So um, some of it is, I think a good trainer, a a good, um, a good trainer can talk to you about what is kind of typical. Now, not all dogs read the manual. So where are your kids and what would be good fits for that? Where are you? Do you want to have to take a dog out every two hours versus like my adult dogs can pretty much hold it. Well, arguably they could hold it longer than I ever asked them to, but we easily go out every six hours. So if I think sometimes we don't take stock of where we are and we don't think what 15 years from now is going to look like. Right. Right. I, and that's the other thing is I, I, I try to encourage people. Um, well, and, and this is good. We're going to, if we didn't get calls about the last one, we're going to get calls about this statement. And this is one I got from somebody else. So we're just going to blame Colleen for this one. But, uh, I, but I find it to be true that when a family is looking at a dog and they're looking to add a member to their family, I try to tell them, don't choose a dog for the kids. The, do- the kids are going to love any dog that you bring into the house. What you need to do is choose the dog that the mom wants. Because moms in general are the ones who are doing most of the taking to the vet and the feeding and the training. It's not to say the dads don't get involved, but in general, what I have found in most families, it's really the mom. And so you need to get a dog that mom loves well, in order I'll to make actually, it. So not only do I agree, right, the, the mom that I was talking about with the dog that isn't cuddly yet that the kids want to cuddle, she said to me, that, you know, it, everyone, no one is being consistent. And so it all falls to me. And I'm like, right, you didn't get a dog for the kids. You got a dog for you. And she said, no, no, no. And I said, yes, yes, yes. yes. <laughs> if you have baby, you're like the primary caregiver. And that right now we're saying moms, there are absolutely those households where it's dad. Yes. Go dad awesome job, right? Like, but we're for shorthand for ease of communication, we're going to say typically one parent is the primary caregiver. Well, if that parent is already worn out, primarily caring for everyone else and doesn't have the bandwidth or the space in their heart for a dog, then let's put a flag on the play and not do this yet. Or let's look at a really well-trained adult dog. So the six-year-old pug that you can pull from rescue all day long, that's easy to add to the household. You know, I think that this is, is, is more of a universal truth than people may want to recognize. When my mother used to tell the story of when she had two small children, my brother and sister, when my sister was six and my brother was three and I came along and my dad, or maybe, no, I think it was before I was born. Anyway, it was right around the time that my mom was pregnant with me or I was born. And she had, my mother was a genius with dogs. Um, and she'd had dogs all her life and she really thought she wanted a puppy. And they got a puppy and they had a Sparky for two weeks. And my mom says, I can't do it. I cannot do this. I cannot care for three small children 
and take care of this dog. And so they rehomed him, and that was back in 1958. So this is not a new phenomenon. This is not something that has just recently developed in the past few years with working moms. This is something that is, that is a real thing, that it is hard to care for a family and add a dog and do it the way you want to do it. And my mother, my mother was really a brilliant trainer. Um, I think it skipped a generation and went from me to my daughter. (laughs) (laughs) I just happened to be the one who made a commercial. Now I don't even say I made a commercial success of it. I'm attempting to make a commercial success of this. But my, my mom could, she, she was a great lure reward trainer. And, uh, even before, yeah, she, even before, you know, positive reinforcement, any of that stuff, my mom was a lurry watcher and she could change our dog to do anything, but she had to wait to get the dog because it just wasn't going to work. Yeah. It absolutely is a bandwidth thing. And, um, you know, it's just, it's, and it's okay. That's the thing is that I think even today though, there's much more pressure to say, but you can do it all. Because, you know, you're a liberated yeah. woman or you're a well, liberated so, family. I, and so, therefore, you should right. you should be able to do it all because you have the income and you have the house and you have the kids and you have the yard and you have the career. What's the big deal? If you want the whole package, you should be able to do this. And I don't, and, you know, it's like, but you can't because we all have limits on our bandwidth. Um just ask me the last, well, I did vacuum this morning, but, you know, um, I've got other things that are, you know, taking care of my bandwidth. So I think that that is something that is really requires some honest appraisal on your part is, can this actually be put into our lifestyle right now? Do we actually have the time? Or am I spending most of my time shuttling kids around? Do I actually have time to train the dog? Do I actually have time for the trainer to come over? That's one of the biggest problems I have is that people hire me and then they're constantly rescheduling because, oh, we forgot. It's, you know, Kelsey's band night or it's Jonathan's football night or, you know, um, you know, Josephine just came home from preschool with the flu and, I get rescheduled a lot because they don't have the time to put into even just having me in their house for an hour. Well, and the other thing I would say is I think social media and the internet has to a certain extent, it's like, I don't know, it's the, (laughs) it feels like a war on all of us, right? Because, because for example, I do get those families who are like, okay, this is terrible and it's not working and I can't rehome this dog because I will never hear the end of it. And I'm like, wow, if the, if the, so people, I love, I love people. If somebody's going to judge me over me deciding what's better or not good for my family, if they're going to think I'm a terrible person for those decisions, they can kind of pound salt. Yeah. Because they're not here. They're not, they're not in my shoes. Rehoming three of the four dogs who live in our household. Well, none of them were born here. They're all rehomed, but three of them grew up with other families and have landed here and they've got it pretty darn good. So I think that rehoming is by far not the worst thing that can happen. I think I say that every single podcast episode um, well, at least every so other one, I, maybe not I everyone tell families, especially when mom is kind of on the fence or dad's on the fence, 
right? So I always tell family, if there's one person in the household who's afraid of dogs, stop. You're not getting a dog yet. Getting a, getting a dog does not improve that. Getting the dog generally makes that significantly worse and impossible to change, right? Because Absolutely. the person's fear and their response will make even a stable dog worry right? And, because and they don't understand. Flooding, right? so flooding fun. rarely works, right. which is what so, we're doing here. If you get right. a dog and, and somebody's scared of it and you're flooding them, that's not actually going to help the fear. It's right. going to cement so, it. So if any member of the family is afraid of dogs or has had a significantly traumatic experience that has changed how they view dogs, then that's a no-go. We have different work to do first. Two, if anyone in the household, adult or child, is like, absolutely not, this is a terrible idea, we stop. We don't continue. Because those human relationships are way more important to whether or not there's a dog in the household. Yes. And then... And then... If anyone has been cajoled into a, well, maybe, right, if somebody is really on the fence, then I often talk to families about let's foster a really stable, nice dog, right? If that, be choosy about what you're fostering, but go into it as a foster placement so that if it's a terrible fit, if, if we give it the good college try but the intention was always that we were a, a temporary hold for that dog to move on to an amazing household where that dog is going to be honored and loved, then that is a win. If it ends up that that dog's a perfect fit, then you can always say we are that household that this dog has been looking for. So it gives a family from the beginning the, uh, the flexibility of saying, no, 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 we were always a foster home. The point was to move the dog on. It was absolutely an experiment for our family to see, like, do the kids keep their stuff picked up? And do I have the bandwidth to take care of a dog? And do the kids play fetch and take the dog for three walks every day? Or after the first three days, did nobody even know the dog was there and pay any attention then maybe it's just not the right fit or maybe it was too complicated. Right. So the one thing I would also the flexibility. Absolutely. And one thing I would recommend that people take a look at is Colleen's book, living with kids and dogs, because one of the things she talks about is these things. How do you make these decisions? And what are the other thing is, is I find is, is that oftentimes um, everybody has, completely unrealistic expectations about what each member of the family can and cannot do for this dog, especially when it comes to kids. So you may, your eight-year-old may be really responsible. That doesn't mean he needs to be responsible for the dog. That's just not fair to him and it's not fair to the dog. And that's another thing that Colleen talks about is what is reasonable expectations for each age of your child as far as caring for the dog. And I think that if you take a look at that and take a step back and say, what is realistic, then I think you're going to have a much better chance of finding, uh, have a successful match or make the decision. It's like, if you know, as adults, I can't do this, right? I am too busy to take care of this dog. So therefore I'm going to rely on my children to do it. I would suggest that you take a step back and ask yourself if that's really fair to you and to the dog and to your kids. Um, I just was, somebody was telling me about, they were so, their, their neighbor, 
their daughter had a dog, literally, I mean, one of this classic, the dog followed her home, right? And he really did. And she fell in love with it. And the dad didn't want the dog, but he finally said, okay, but you have to be completely responsible for it. And the girl was nine. And I'm like, I bet you it's, it's over in just two weeks if, or less, because that's just not fair to a nine-year-old to expect her to take care of absolutely everything that has to do with that dog. Yeah. I, I make a considerable number of people angry by saying, I understand that we're trying to teach the ta- the kids to be responsible, right? Like we want them to be empathetic and to learn to care for other living things. It gets them out of their ego a little bit. That being said, the dog and the kid are who pay the cost for that. So I will tell you, number one way to have a one-year-old dog that is not actually house-trained, have your children raise the dog and be responsible for it. You will have, in my experience, dogs that are soiling in the house, right? Because the kids just open the door and let the dog out. They don't monitor, did the dog actually eliminate? Like, did the dog go outside and bark at all the neighbor dogs or did he pee and poop? Like, which happened? Well, we don't know. They also, like, did the dog eat yesterday? Like, if you want a dog who's rummaging through your trash, have the kids feed the dog because it gets forgotten. And then the dog starts foraging around your house looking for things to consume (laughs) because he's starving because he doesn't have thumbs. So um, I I, can kids help you bet. bet. And it is beautiful when we do that. But in the end, the buck stops with the parental units actually taking responsibility. And so if you feel like you don't want this job, then don't take on this job. Right. Right. Because like, we'll, I'll back you up. Oh. I will back you. You can be like, Tina, can you please send me an email? This is absolutely not. You're not allowed to have a dog right now. Yes. I will send you that email. Absolutely not. It's a terrible idea. Right. Because We have all, I bet even Julie and I have taken dogs when we did not want a dog. Those do not go well. Yeah. Well, the, the, um, I will say to people, you know, like when we're having a problem, you know, and, and well, I'll be at the house and and the dad will be explaining, well, you know, when he gets home from work, he takes the dog for a walk and he does all this stuff and the kids love the dog, but then they're running off here and they're running up there. And the mother's not saying anything. She's just sitting there. Right. Everybody else is talking. And I finally look at her and I'll say, so how do you feel about this dog? How do you feel about having one in your house? And usually there's this, I know it's really important to my family to have the dog. And I know that they all love him so much. And then I usually say, that's not what I asked. How do you feel about this dog? And eventually it'll come out that this is really hard and I'm just not bonding with the dog and I want to love it, but I don't. And I'm feeling overwhelmed and suddenly the family sees things in a new way. And what I'd like is, is if we could have this discussion even before we get the dog, right? Right. So that this mistake is not made. Or secondly, Let's do it as soon as possible after we get the dog and we understand that things are not going well so that everybody has a quicker chance of recovery, including the dog. And I think that that sometimes it's hard. It's really hard to be honest with those we love the most because we want to do, because we, because we love them. 
And because we want to make them happy, okay, I, I can do this. I, I can, you know, cause everybody says they're going to help. So I'm just going to trust that this is going to be okay. And, right. and I, and I'll be okay. And, you know, I, I don't, I want to do this for my kids. It's like, that's admirable, but it's not going to work, sweetheart. So I will say one way that I've seen it work well, because there are a lot of people who sit on this fence, right? That yeah. our heart gets pulled by, you know, our children's desires and our husband or our, our partner's desires. So one of the things that I have said to families in the past is if, if the primary caregiving parent, right, as far as the household, the one who's home the most, the one who would be typically in charge of feeding and watering and cleaning up after and vetting and grocery shopping for the dog, right? Whoever that would typically be. If everybody's saying, well, we'll help with this and we'll help with that and it'll make it easier, let them put that into practice for a minimum of six months before you bring a dog home. Because what my experience has been that if the family really does take some stress off that individual person in the family who kind of is the catch-all for all of the things that no one else does, then if in six months they've moved that to the point that that person actually does have some free bandwidth, they're totally ready for an animal because they have the space to do it. So I get it. Everybody says, like, I want to you know, I'll keep my room clean and I'll keep my things picked up and I'll do dishes and I'll take the trash out and I'll vacuum and all the things, let them put that into practice ahead of time. And then whoever that person is, who's like, yeah, this sounds like a terrible idea. I don't have the bandwidth. When that person, that person decides, okay, we've, we've behaved our way to success for six months. I haven't had, I have had help with the laundry. I have had help with dishes and mowing the lawn and bringing the groceries in and keep, and the kids are keeping things picked up so that if we had a new dog in the household, whether it was a puppy or an adult dog, I'm not going to be worrying that somebody's earbuds get eaten or that some game that's worth hundreds of dollars gets destroyed. Once all of that's happening, a lot of times a family will decide like, yeah, we are absolutely ready for a dog. And then we can begin to look for Prince Charming or Princess Charming. Yes. Then we can take, okay, when each member of the household closes their eyes and imagines life in the company of the dog, what does that look like? Right. Does one family member love to take photos with their tablet? And so the dog has to be comfortable with, you know, having a camera shoved in its face, right? A dog who preferably smiles and likes that interaction. Is there somebody who plays baseball who's going to want to play fetch or soccer, who's going to want to kick a ball with a dog? It, are we hikers? Do we kayak together? Are we readers? Is our family readers, right? Do we have a cross-country runner? What do we have? Because what is a great fit for my household may or may not be a great fit for someone else's. And so when you, if you talk to a rescue, the rescue is going to talk to you about the dogs they have, as they should. They're advocating for those dogs. If you talk to a breeder, the breeder is going to talk to you about the dogs they have, as they should. They're advocating for their dogs. Ideally, when you're talking to a trainer, I don't have dogs available. Right. I'm advocating for your family 
And we're going to find, and honestly, it is how I serve dogdom. Like it's the oddest job that I do, (laughs) right? My end user is not my actual customer. So, so I am in, in the, literally, I am crystal clear with my lens on this. I am advocating for the family and the right dog. And honestly, if I do my job well, you never need me. And that happens all the time. When I can get a family to adopt an adult dog, they usually apologize that they didn't need me. And I'm like, no, 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 that's great. That means I did a good job. Right. Right. Well, the the other thing that I try and encourage people to do too, when they're trying to say, what kind, what what breed of dog should I get? Should, you know, we should I get a golden retriever because they're the quintessential family dog? And I'm like, well, goldens have their own issues, including a high cancer rate. What I try to get them to do is is the very same thing that you just talked about is let's talk about what we want to do with the dog and try to be open to a wide variety of dogs don't just decide i have to have you know an english springer spaniel or i have to have a bichon frise or i must have a clumber no nobody has to have a clumber um but uh <laughs> but uh because the ideal dog may not be looking like what you think the ideal dog looks like. For example, I I had a client once who hired me to take a look at a litter of puppies because she had really liked the little, one of the little dogs. And Emma and I, my daughter and I went and took a look at this whole litter of puppies. And the one she wanted, yes, was adorable. But this was not a dog with a real strong social drive because these puppies had lived in this house all its li- all their lives, right? All seven, eight weeks of their lives. And the little one that she, she, she was so interested in spent the entire time sniffing, sniffing the perimeter. She didn't really, she kind of came over. The kids came over and she petted her. She looked at him and she walked away. Whereas there was another little one who was kind of scruffy looking and had tufts of hair in odd places. And he was like, oh! And he ran over and he leaped into the kids' laps, right? And when he petted them, when they petted him, he snuggled. And then when they threw a toy, he was like, oh, we're going to play. And he ran and got the toy and came flying back and leaped into their laps. And when they gave, and then he, when they pet them down the back, he'd lean into them. I mean, there was, Emma and I were so enchanted by this dog. We were begging, begging this woman to get this dog. Because it was the ideal family dog from everything that we could judge at the time that we had, where we were at for the, you know, the couple hours we spent there, this was the perfect family dog. And she ended up not getting the dog, but she also didn't get the fee- the, the other one that she had been looking at um, because we convinced her that this was not a dog with enough of a social drive for a family. And she ended up getting a lovely little dog. Um, and I really liked the dog that she chose but and part of me, my heart was just broken that she didn't get the one that Emma and I were so excited about because the dog she got was great, but the dog that we really wanted her to get was over the moon great. And so I, I try to really encourage people to take a step back from the ideal look of a dog and look at the ideal dog. What are the characteristics of the personality of that dog that are going to work right. for you? So think about like when, when we think about our partners, like Prince or Princess Charming, right? We had a list of characteristics that meant this, these are, 
so it sounds bad to say it this way, but it's like a job interview, right? Like here is the title of, you know, parenting partner and life partner. Here are the characteristics and criteria that would be ideal for this position. And maybe it has stuff like how tall or whether the person sheds, right? This, but probably it doesn't. And when we think in terms of how does my partner look as compared to that mythical perfect creature that we had imagined, right? Does Christopher meet all of those criteria? Well, probably not. Probably not. So, so when I'm talking to families about thinking about like, okay, well, what kind of dog what might we get? I spend a ton more time talking about what are the qualities that that dog has that have nothing to do with whether its face is smushed in and whether or not it sheds. I know that you worry about shedding. That is the absolute dead level least consideration for me. It just is. Because according to the Mayo Clinic, no dog is hypoallergenic. It's just whether or not the person with an allergy has a reaction to that individual dog. So we can toss out the hypoallergenic thing. Yeah. If you want something that doesn't shed, get a frog. Get a fish. Get a fish. Right. Right. So so if, if shedding is your big deal breaker, I'm sorry. For me, it's how well it fits into the household is a big deal breaker. So shedding might be a part of it, but nothing sheds like a pug. Nothing. This dog, I don't know how he's not naked, but you know what? (laughs) He fits great into the household other than being deaf because he's hysterically funny. He adds tremendous joy to our household, even when he's doing it unintentionally. (laughs) So. So a pug might not be a perfect answer for your household, but I can always buy another Roomba. I can always add a cleaning service. There are lots of things I can do to mitigate shedding. There's not a lot I can do to mitigate a dog that is a triangular shape in a star shape in or a star shape in a triangle triangular shaped hole. Right? If if the dog is not a good fit from who that animal is, they're not infinitely adjustable. So for me, the fit in the household and the dynamics of the family, and can this dog be what each member of the family kind of loosely needs him to be, right? So he's going to be a watch the game buddy with dad, and he's going to be the go for a walk, with our daughter and, and he's, uh, laugh at like make eye contact with and laugh at me watching the kids play. And for our son, he's a fetch partner. Like if we have a dog who fits most of those criteria, then yeah, the shedding becomes the least of it because I don't, I don't mind vacuuming. I, I have to do it anyway. Heck all the humans in this house shed. Yeah. Yeah. You think about it, yeah, we all hit. Well, you, when you were talking about that, it's also a little bit like house hunting. When you first start, you decide, when you start to look at houses, and it's like, I have to have this, and it must have a mudroom, and it has to have this, and this, and this, and this, and this. And then you walk into a house that doesn't have anything of those things, and you fall in love. Like, I have to have this house. Okay. Right. And then and then you spend a bajillion dollars trying to add a mudroom. 
So, <laughs> so what I would say is like probably the average household dog lovers. What would we say that they have ten dogs in their adult lives? Maybe, probably Maybe. not even that many. Those are kind of precious spots. Yeah, yeah. Right, and, and I, I'm greedy in that I want the best possible fits for where our life is now and where our life is going to be through the life of this dog. And um, Andy Stanley is every once in a while he says something that I just think is magic. And so one of the quotes that I remember forever about him, and I'm sure I'm getting it at least a little bit wrong, is there's suffering that's unavoidable. And there's avoidable suffering. Avoid the avoidable suffering. suffering. Yeah. So just because the dog is really, really cute doesn't mean it's a great fit for your family any more than, you know, that those pair of pumps that are really cute are a good fit for your feet for working all day. Right? Like, the, it has to be a good fit. And, and sometimes a dog trainer has magic for helping you navigate the water of how to find that right dog, right? And if people ask me all the time, like, well, what kind of dog should we get? And we start a conversation about when we think about life with a dog, what does that look like? And then I might be able to, and I also own that I know the worst things about all of the breeds, right? Because the perfect ones don't come to me, right? So the bajillion perfect dogs out there, I do not get the, the option to see most of the time. I see the things that are problems. Same thing happens with your vet. The super healthy dogs, they see once a year. The ones that make a really big impression on them are the ones that have catastrophic things go wrong. So when we're doing our research, um, I own that I'm biased in one direction, but I do endeavor to give families the best advice I can possibly give them about what might be a good fit. And, and that's different for each family. Right. Absolutely. Um, and it's probably not a Malin doodle. <laughs> no, I can't imagine a clumber doodle. Oh my goodness. That would be, um, uh, that would be a, a nightmare. I'm pretty sure that that would be, would that would haunt my dreams. A, a, a clumber doodle. Um, it would be fascinating. It would be, it would be the most mis high energy mischievous dog on the planet. But, be that as it may, I don't think, because clumbers are like 215th in the popularity, I don't think anybody's going to doodleize them anytime soon. But um, be that as it may, I think that the summation of all this is, is that we love dogs and we want you to love having a dog in your family. And so therefore, don't just go on the internet, find the first cute dog and get him. Take some time. Ask yourself some questions. Ask your family some questions. Find out what is expected of this dog and what you expect of yourselves to be able to give to this dog. And I think that's starting the conversation of opening it up as to what kind of a dog is going to fit. Then once you find out what kind of a dog it is you're looking for, then let's talk about how we fit that into your family. But I think that it starts with taking your time 
to do it right so that you don't have to make that heart-wrenching decision of rehoming and starting again. Because I've also had people who've gone to a shelter, and this happens a, f- a fair amount for me, and I don't know if it does for you, is they go to the shelter and they get convinced by the shelter that this is the dog for them, and they bring it home, and it's a complete mismatch. And it's, um, it's a dog with, with numerous behavioral problems, and they're a level one family. They've never had a dog before. They've got small children. The dog is menacing their children or their whatever. And they take the dog back, and they're being blamed by the shelter for creating this problem in this dog. And they are heartbroken by this. They feel that they have failed. They feel as if they have done everything completely wrong, which they haven't. And the number of times they have said to me, I don't think I can do this again. I don't think I can do a dog. It just breaks my heart. Because if we had if we had done it right the first time, and if the shelter had been a little bit more careful about placing the dog with a more appropriate family than the one that they did, then all of this would have been avoided. So I think if you don't want the heart, it's kind of like, it reminds me a little bit. I just was, I was listening to this great podcast called Heist with, um, and it's, it, the basic theme of it is if you can't do the time, don't do the crime. And it's kind of in reverse here. If, if you don't want this to be a crime, then do the time. Well, and so that's the thing, like how many people go and do internet research and are just led astray because somebody has a sales funnel. Yeah. Right. Oh, these dogs are the perfect family dog. If you hear that run away, run away because there's a ton of deviation, right? Within any breed, some are going to be more social. Some are going to be less social. Some are going to have higher prey drive. Some are going to have lower prey drive, right? Dogs, Most dog breeds have a job to do. And when you get a mixed breed dog, then we have to look at all of the different drives and all of the different medical things and all of the different behavioral things for all of the combinations, right? It gets that, that water gets muddy. It does. does. In a perfect world, in a perfect world, our dogs would get like our children would get the best of all of the attributes of each parent. In reality, it doesn't work that way. No, it Instead, does not work that way. We get a little bit of the crazy <laughs> <laughs> mixed in there. So, I mean, there are, there are, I did have a family ask me recently, and I thought this was a brilliant question. Well, you know, 50 years ago, some dog just walked up on my dad's property, and those were always the greatest dogs. And I'm like, right, dogs were really different 50 years ago. Absolutely. They were really different, right? And the fear-aggressive dog would not have walked up to your dad on the property 50 years ago, right? right? The the dog that's getting in fights with every other dog in the neighborhood would not have walked up on your dad's property 50 years ago because that dog would have been really damaged already and unable to walk. So there's dogs are different than they were 50 years ago. Mm-hmm. And they are different now than they will be 50 years from now. And hopefully we're messing it up better as we go along. Right. Uh, but, you know, and then do we, can we structure our household so that we're patient enough for the dog when it does come into our home 
to start to figure out where it's landed and who it is and what its role is and that we're curious about that with that dog, right? right? Getting to know who that dog is. We think we know. We've hedged our bet. But like when we chose our partner, we thought we knew all there was to know. And then we learned a whole bunch more. More. (laughs) Like I'm pretty sure that Christopher, if he was going to be honest, has learned some things about me that he didn't know <laughs> before. And maybe not all of that is is stuff that would have fallen on Well, the other thing is, is, is that criteria. dogs like people evolve over time. Um, I'm now doing powerlifting, right? Which I never thought I would do. And my husband looks at me the other day and um, he says to me, you're powerlifting and a few years ago, I took it. I run. I'm not running right now because of my foot surgery. But I take it. He goes, "Who are you? And what did you do with my wife? I mean, powerlifting. I never thought you'd do it. And I'm like, never thought I would either. But I tried it, and I love it. It's really, really, really fun. Um, so I, I think that we need to remember is that time changes and experience changes people and dogs. And so, you know, you need to understand that the puppy you bring in today is not necessarily going to be exactly the same dog you have six months from now. And that's an important thing to remember. Anyway, I think that the bottom line is, is the same thing that we say every week. It depends. It depends on the family. Yes. It depends. That's right. We're going to change it to your family dog. It depends. So, um, so I think there's, there's a lot to be said out there, but I also think too, that, that if this is something that your family is starting to explore, it might be worth your while to hire somebody to help you explore it, to help you ask the questions that need to be asked and, and figure out how to answer them in a way that's, that's honest and realistic. Um, we can, we all have hopes and dreams and those should not be shut down, but we also have to bring a certain level of reality as to, to what is our life really like. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on Your Family Dog. Don't forget to check out Tina's YouTube videos on 90 Days to the Perfect Puppy. And please like us on Facebook. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Your Family Dog. Got questions? Interesting ideas? Visit www.yourfamilydogpodcast.com to share your thoughts.